Hello. Welcome to the legend of Robin Hood of Sherwood. Chapter 18. A Day of Guests. The story of Sir Isambard de Balaam's demise whizzed around Nottinghamshire. Not only that, rumours that King Richard was back in England gathered momentum. In St Mary's, Abbot Hugo heard them. In Nottingham, the Sheriff heard them, and in London, Prince John heard them. The Prince Regent decided he needed to do something about this renegade outlaw before his brother came back from the Crusades and pardoned him. He made his way to Nottingham and gathered around him his closest advisers, including the Sheriff himself and the scheming Bishop of Hereford. In St Mary's Abbey, the Abbot was worried. He decided it was time that he also travelled to Nottingham to protect himself and his riches. So, on a clear autumn day, when the brown leaves scattered in the forest, Hugo went on his way towards Nottingham with three priors in attendance, all carrying vast quantities of gold and silver. Escorting them were Sir Guy of Gisborne and all the men-at-arms the abbey could drum up. On the edge of the forest they were joined by a tall merchant, who asked if he could have protection on his own way to Nottingham. The abbot looked at the trader, whose face was covered by a leather visor, and simply shrugged in agreement. Of course the inevitable happened. As they were crossing an open glade, Robin's men fell on them so suddenly that the struggle was almost over as soon as it began. Guy of Gisborne's horse bolted, so he said. Truly nobody could be entirely sure whether he simply ran away in fear. The rest of his men were outnumbered three to one and it was simply no contest. They followed their master and turned and ran, leaving just the three priors and the abbot in the clearing. Greetings, Hugo, said Robin Hood. Get down from the horse and let's have a word. The abbot seethed with rage, but said nothing, waiting for Robin to start to speak. I do believe, said Robin, that you owe me a huge debt. When I was in evil hold, I saw on the table, in front of my Marion, a parchment for her to sign, which would have required her to hand over all of her worldly goods to Sir Isambard de Balaam. There's no way that he had the skills to write that document. The only person in these parts who could have prepared such an evil but admittedly well-written and watertight contract, is your clerk. Little John, bring our other prisoner here. Little John emerged from the forest, bringing with him the clerk of St Mary's. The clerk looked absolutely petrified. Confess, ordered Robin, or we will extract the information from your clerk. The clerk shivered in fear and looked ready to spill his guts. The abbot, terrified what else would come out if the clerk confessed, admitted his part in Marion's plight. Well, said Robin, that will cost you 700 gold marks, and I'll take another hundred to divide among my men that I lost when trying to free Marion from evil hold. In fact, there are many other debts. I'd say you should set aside 1,500 gold marks to repay your past deeds, and of course the ones you're sure to commit in the future. Let's call it an insurance policy. Robbery and outrage, spluttered the abbot. That is indeed the custom of you evil churchmen, replied Robin. He called upon Little John and Will Scarlet and his other right-hand men to pack the three pyres and the abbot back on the mules and send them off, and so off they went, 1,500 gold marks lighter. The men of Sherwood watched the abbot and his priors make their sorry way out of the forest. OK, said Robin, I have just one more person to deal with. He turned to the tall merchant. So what's your story? Why do you travel with that evil man? Your fine is twenty marks for so doing. Now tell us, how much do you have on you? Just forty marks, 
came the swift reply. John, said Robin, search him. Find out whether he tells the truth. The merchant submitted to the search amicably, and little John did his best, but there was no more than the forty marks the merchant had already declared. The big man tossed the money bag containing the remaining twenty marks back to the merchant with some disdain. It hit him in the midriff. The merchant's mouth and nose were still covered, so it was impossible to see the expression on his face. A glance into his eyes, though, would have revealed anger. Without warning, he struck the giant man with the open side of his hand, knocking him to the ground. Little John stood up and drew his sword. The merchant did the same, but Robin intervened. "'Come on now,' he said. "'John, where are your manners? Pick up that bag and hand it back to him with some respect.' He turned to the merchant. "'You strike harder than any other man I have met. Perhaps you would join us in a game of buffets.' Little John did as he was told, and the merchant put away his sword. He took the bag and turned to Robin. He seemed about to answer the challenge to a game of buffets, but he said nothing. He simply nodded once and then turned away. Without another word, the tall merchant walked from the forest. Meanwhile, back in Nottingham, Prince John had a plan. And it wasn't just one plan, it was two. He handed the Bishop of Hereford a large sum of money and told him to go around the country and raise rebellion against his brother. He gave him a signed parchment, calling his barons to rise up and declare him the King of England. The rumours that Richards was back may be true, they may not be. Either way, it was time to strike for the kingdom now. At the same time, Robin Hood had to be dealt with, and John knew the way to do this was through Marion. The Bishop of Hereford asked for a large armed escort, but Prince John said no. He said the bishop didn't need a large escort because a small party would slip through Sherwood without even being noticed. To the prince, this was ideal. Either the bishop would make it and rebellion would be raised, or he'd get caught and cause a distraction. Then John could put in place the second part of his plan. The bishop's party made their way towards the forest. On the way, they encountered a tall man dressed as a palmer, a pilgrim to the Holy Land. The tall man had a leather visor over his mouth and nose. He asked the bishop if he could tag along for protection. The bishop noted that the small party John had allowed him to take with him wouldn't offer much protection, but he agreed anyway. It really didn't make much difference to him. The bishop and his entourage reached the edge of Sherwood and happened on a few shepherds, who appeared to be roasting what looked like one of the king's deer. "'What are you doing?' exclaimed the bishop. "'How dare you kill the king's deer? It's against the law!' "'We are but humble shepherds,' said the leader of the small group. "'Usually we are with our sheep in the pasture.' but today we decided to have a merry dinner of a fine fat deer. Impudent fellow, come along with me. You shall answer to Prince John. He hangs deer slayers for the first offence. But of course it was all just a ruse. Immediately thirty men in Lincoln Green rushed in. The shepherds threw off their coats. They were also dressed in green. So, here is the Bishop of Hereford, said Robin Hood. Aren't we having a fine time with holy visitors today? The last one gave us fifteen hundred marks but this one seems intent on hanging us. Cut off his head, urged little John. Bury him under this tree. The Bishop of Hereford dropped to his knees. Mercy, mercy, he begged. You will have mercy today from Robin Hood. Little John, bind him and blindfold him. We will take him to our glade and feed him tonight. Maybe he can entertain us. At this, the tall palmer stepped forward and spoke for the first time. Robin Hood... I am not in this churchman's party, but I rode along with him. 
I can't stand by and see a bishop done to death. I have fought in the Holy Land with King Richard in defence of the church. I have no quarrel with you, good Palmer. We will not harm this corrupt churchman. We may just have a bit of fun with him. Come with us and enjoy our hospitality today. If you are the king's man, then I will show you that we are too. All of us long for the return of our true lord, and we believe he may already be back in England. We will take you to our home, and we will not blindfold you, if you swear that you will never betray the secret path. The palmer nodded in agreement, and the merry men, the bishop's party, and he, left the clearing and began the short journey to Robber's Glade. Back in the glade, Marion and Betris were alone, making arrows from wood and goose feathers. Betris looked up from her work and started. She nudged Marion gently and pointed. Marion looked up. The ferns at the edge of the glade rustled, and both women thought they saw a human form duck behind them. A second or two later they were sure. Realising that he had been spotted, the figure stepped out from behind the ferns and into the clearing. He was followed by a small band of armed men. Marion and Betris gasped in surprise. The unexpected visitor was Prince John. So, here she is, the tigress in her den, he sneered. There's no escape. I have made sure your beloved Robin Hood is busy with the Bishop of Hereford. Seize her! Marion blew on her horn as hard as she could. Then she drew her sword and prepared to defend herself. She managed to do so for just long enough. Two of Prince John's men approached her, swords drawn, expecting an easy victory. Marion swiftly disarmed one of them with a deft flick of her sword and laid the other out dead with one thrust. Fierce and skilful swordswoman that she was, though, Marion could not hold off six other men, although she wounded one sorely. They took her blade from her and brought her before the prince. Now we have you, pretty one. Come with me. Marion slapped the prince regent hard across the face. John's eyes flashed with anger and he raised his hand to strike her, but an arrow whizzed between his thumb and forefinger. He jerked back. The merry men flooded in, Robin Hood and Will Scarlet at their head. They made short work of the men-at-arms and then seized the regent and bound him tightly. Don't kill him, ordered Robin. Make sure his bindings are tight and that he can't escape and then throw him in that cave. We will deal with him later. At that moment, the rest of the men leading the blindfolded Bishop of Hereford, entered the glade. Behind them strode the tall palmer. Come, gather round and sit down. Today we've earned our dinner. Prepare the feast. We have two fine deer to eat. You live well here, Robin Hood, said the palmer. You kill the king's deer? Yes, we do, replied Robin. But we are outlaws because of the injustice of Prince John and that of his minion, the Sheriff of Nottingham. Yes, we eat the king's deer, and yes, we rob from the rich and corrupt be they churchmen or not. Never, though, have we knowingly hurt or stolen from an honest man. Never have we taken from a true supporter of the good King Richard. Saxon or Norman, we will help anyone who is suffering or who yearns for our Lord's return. Many Norman knights have been grateful for our help. Just ask Sir Richard of Lee. People call me the poor man's friend. Most of what I take from the rich and corrupt I give to the poor and needy. The rest goes to the ransom fund for King Richard. Now join us in our meal, unless you shrink from eating the king's deer. Shrink from it, answered the palmer enigmatically. Why no, I count it as my own, and anyway I am as hungry as if I'd walked back from Jerusalem. The merry men, the Bishop of Hereford and the stranger ate heartily. Then they drank to the safe return of King Richard from the Crusades. Robin Hood, having drunk a good few toasts to their absent master, 
asked the bishop for payment for his food. But I have no money, answered the portly churchman, just two hundred marks, and those are bound for the ransom fund for our great king. Search him, ordered Robin Hood. Actually, wait a minute. Earlier today we met a merchant who refused a game of buffets with us. Perhaps our crusader friend will join us in some sport as payment for his dinner. There was a loud cheer. Robin explained the rules to the stranger, who listened intently. His face still covered with the visor gave nothing away. After the laws of the game were explained, he nodded his agreement. The game of buffets was a simple one. Player one hit player two as hard as he could and tried to knock him over. Then player two did the same to player one. Whoever felled his opponent was the winner. It wasn't explained what happened if both men fell, but that didn't seem to matter. The game was on. Little John was first to play. The giant man rolled back his sleeve and dealt the mightiest of blows to the palmer. He barely seemed to notice. Then he raised his own arm and sent Little John sprawling to the glade floor. Wow! exclaimed Friar Tuck, rolling up his own sleeve and revealing a mighty trunk of an arm. So, let's see how you do against this. He struck the palmer such a buffet that it seemed impossible he wouldn't go down. But go down he didn't. Nice shot, Friar, was all he said. Then he laid the fat monk on his back. Friar Tuck was so dazed he had to be helped to his feet. He looked at the palmer with something approaching awe and then slunk away. Have I paid for my dinner yet? asked the palmer. Robin Hood smiled. Not yet. The last blow will be your final payment. I have to say that I am afraid to take you on. I have laid the friar out before, but he has also had the better of me. I've never seen anyone do that to him. And with that, he raised his arm and smacked the palmer hard in the head with the most powerful stroke he had ever dealt. The palmer rocked a little, but his feet remained firmly planted on the ground. Then he punched Robin Hood hard in the face. The Lord of Sherwood fell to the ground as if he had been hit by a train. Not that being hit by a train would have been that likely in 12th century Nottinghamshire. Robin gingerly raised himself to his feet. You have had the best of us. You are by far the strongest man I have ever met. It would be an honour if you would join us and live here in Sherwood, fighting for the poor and for King Richard against the corrupt and Prince John. Alas, no, I am on the King's business. And here's one who goes about the devil's business, came a voice from across the glade. Little John, having received his buffet, had carried out his master's orders and searched the bishop. Of course, he had found the letter, signed by Prince John, calling for rebellion against the king. He waved it in the bishop's direction and then handed it to Robin Hood. The Bishop of Hereford shook with fear. Give me a reason why I shouldn't hang you now, said Robin. Please have mercy. I had no choice. Look who has signed the letter. Robin Hood seemed to weigh up his alternatives for a minute, before declaring, Ah, oh, yes, that reminds me. We have another prisoner, one who assaults women. Mr Scarlet, bring him before us. Will Scarlet, red cap dancing on his head, brought the royal captive from the cave. Everyone looked towards the prince, and nobody noticed the palmer take off his visor and throw back his hood. The first person to look in his direction was Prince John. The Regent of England immediately went a ghostly white colour, and then dropped to his knees. The merry men turned to see what had caused this remarkable reaction, and then they all did the same. In the end it was John who spoke. Richard, my brother, have you come to punish me? Seemingly resigned to his fate, he prostrated himself in front of the king. King Richard spoke. 
Untie him and let him go, he ordered. John, Prince of England, and, to my undying shame, my brother, leave this place. Get out of here and go back to your castle. Sin no more, and I will not harm you. But if you ever raise rebellion against me, or threaten my subjects again, I swear I will throw you in the deepest dungeon, and throw away the key. Will Scarlet brought Prince John's horse to him, and helped him mount. Then, without another word, Prince John rode away, his reign of hatred over. Richard turned back to Robin Hood, who was still knelt before him. Stand up, said the king. Robin of Loxley, I pardon you of all your crimes. Laws you may have broken, you may have stolen from barons and churchmen, you have killed men who have fought for the sheriff and for Norman knights, you have poached and eaten the royal deer. All this, though, you have done while opposing the vile deeds of my brother and his henchmen. From this day forth you will be warden of Sherwood, and your men may serve under you. I will pay as many as you need. You may kill and eat the king's deer, and you may return to your family's home. By the time I leave this evening, a pardon will be in the hands of the Sheriff of Nottingham, giving these my royal commands. Robin stood slowly. Thank you, my lord. Whether you be a black knight, a merchant, a palmer, or a king, I will serve you well. King Richard smiled. And one more thing. I have heard talk you vowed not to wed the brave Marion until I returned. Well, here I am, and here is a bishop. Hereford, I command you to conduct a marriage ceremony between Robin and Marion. Friar Tuck can assist you. And so Robin Hood and Maid Marion were married there in Sherwood, in the presence of the King of England. The Bishop of Hereford was dismissed as soon as the wedding was over, but King Richard joined in the celebrations and parties all night with the merry men of Sherwood. Early in the morning he left, telling Robin that he had other disloyal barons to deal with before readying himself for war in Normandy. A few of the merry men left with him, ready to serve under him in France. The next day, Robin Hood and Will Scarlet rode to Nottingham unmolested. They strode into Nottingham Castle and stood before the sheriff. The lord of the city handed Robin the parchment without a word. So, asked Robin, are we at peace? Would you like to take back that arrow you signed? Keep it, snarled the sheriff, for kings do not live for ever. Next time, we'll see how Robin gets on now his outlawing days are over. So, have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you next time. <laughs>